Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the, the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for your love and kindness and, and generosity. Lord, I am so grateful for this opportunity to be here today and, and to be in your house and, and to worship you. And I, I pray, Lord, that through this sermon, through uh, the words that are spoken, the, the, the scripture that is preached, Father, I pray that we would just continue to worship you this morning. Father, I, I recognize I have a part in this. And so, Lord, if you would, uh, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that bring honor and glory to your name in a way that allow others to, to worship you. Father, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that today is that day. They admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that has never done that, that today would be the day of their salvation. Allow for them, Lord, to see your goodness, to see your love, your mercy. your glory. For the believer that's here today, they may be struggling or going through hardships or kind of have just a, a dry spot in their faith. I pray that you would just allow for this to be a time of renewal in their relationship with you. Allow this to be a time where they have their cup filled. Father, I am um, so grateful for this church their commitment to your word, their commitment to you, their, their willingness to worship, their willingness to serve, their willingness to, to be an example to so many. And Father, I pray that you just continue to work and move in this place and allow for us to be the church that you want us to be, to do the things that you want us to do, to love, to serve, to worship. Father God, we love you so much. Pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. What is your uh, choice of GPS when you're in the car? When you, when you get in your car and you're going somewhere you've never been before, you, you type it in. Like, what, what app do you use on your phone? Google Maps. Listen, there is no other answer that, should be, that you should be answering right now. That's, that's the correct answer, the right answer. It's Google Maps and nothing else. My wife, she used to like the Apple Maps, and I had a corrector on that. And so, so hey, listen... The error of her way, right? I mean, Google Maps has the best visual graphics. I mean, terrain graph. I mean, it's just precise. It gives you up-to-date information on traffic flow. It's accurate. And my very favorite, it tells you if there's a cop ahead, okay? And so, <laughs> listen, do you, do you remember before you had a smartphone what you had to do? If you didn't know where you were going, you had to get on like MapQuest and print out like three sheets of paper and try to like figure out where you were going. Young people, like, let me just tell you, before smartphones, like you had to get like a, a physical map. And before the internet, before MapQuest, you had to like hope that you had an atlas, a, a map, something. And like if you were following somebody and you didn't have a cell phone, you, like you had to follow them. Like you had to like Make sure that you didn't get cut off in traffic or left behind. Because if you did not, like if you didn't keep up, well, you were lost. I mean, like you, you just kind of hope, I hope I get there. And, and like I hope I know where I'm going. I hope I can find the way. And if you couldn't, you had to do this really awkward thing. You had to stop and 
and do what no man has ever done since the invention of a smartphone and ask for directions. You know, like that's the last thing that you want to do is stop and ask somebody for help. It's embarrassing. It's, we don't do that anymore. Thank the Lord. Some people are easy to follow, right? I got, we had family here this past summer and uh, we were coming back to my house and I was leading the way and we had family following us and and I was just driving, I thought, like a normal rate of speed and, and driving just like I drive any other time. And when we got home, they whispered to Kathy, is something wrong with Jeff? Was he mad at us? And Kathy's like, no, that's just how he drives. You know, and so some people, are, they're easy to follow. Some people are, are more difficult. Some people are, are, are created to be leaders. And some people are, are created to be followers. And, and what Peter, I think, is saying in our pastor scripture for today, that the church should be made up of followers. We are all followers of Jesus, and we should be following Jesus to the cross. Like he has given us directions. He has shown the way, and we as the church must be people who are willing to follow his lead. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve, because the one who suffered in the flesh has Finished with sin. Peter says, equip yourself with the resolve to suffer, with the attitude uh, to suffer. I, I have a, a handful of guns, and a buddy of mine recently asked me, which one is your favorite? And I said, that's just too hard to pick. And, and, and then he asked me, he said, well, if you could just have one gun, if you could just keep one, which one would you keep? I said, well, that just depends, right? I mean, if I'm, what am I using it for? What do I need it for? Do I need it for, like, hunting large animals, like, going varmint hunting? Am I using it for target practice? Am I, am I bird hunting with it? Am I, am I, is it just for fun? I mean, what am I using? I mean, is it just self-defense? I mean, what's the point behind the... I started wrestling practice this week for the middle school. And uh, I'm preparing these young men and women to go into battle on a wrestling mat. I think, I think some of these kids are going to be better prepared for that battle than others. You know, like I just think, like they, they, they are prepared. They, they, they're going to be ready. And others, they're going to, they're going to be, le- they're, they're going str- to, they're not quite there yet, right? I mean, the first meet comes in a few weeks, and they're going to be, well, how do you prepare yourself? Like, I know, I know how to get a kid ready to, to wrestle. I know how to prepare. Like, I'm going deer hunting. Like, I, I know what to bring. I know what to take to the woods. I, if, I, if I'm preparing a sermon, I know how to do all that. If I'm making lunch for somebody that's coming over to my, I know how to do that. If I, know, if I need to go to, to Indianapolis, I know how to prepare myself to go, to take the right roads, get the right vehicle. And I, like I, I, know how to do, I know how to prepare myself for certain things, right? But to prepare yourself to suffer, how do you do that? How do you prepare your mind with the right resolve, with the right attitude to suffer? I mean, there's, you get on Google and, and search that up. How do you, 
I mean, that's something we don't talk about. There's not a whole lot of books about that. There's not, there's not a whole lot of people signing up for the small group that teaches people how to suffer, right? It's not something like, hey, you know what I want to do today? <sighs> Bring on the pain, man. How do you prepare yourself? How do you mentally get your mind in the state that's needed? Paul says to equip yourself with the same resolve that Christ had. The word resolve could be translated to attitude, perspective. What Peter's really saying here is be ready to suffer. Be ready to die just as Christ was ready to suffer and die. Do you remember the day that Jesus was arrested? Did he put up a fight? Did he say, no, 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 you got the wrong guy? No, I, 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 I'm not guilty. Did he, did he tell him, like, hey, stop. Wait, let's think about it. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. No. He allowed himself to suffer. He allowed himself to be arrested, to be put on a cross. He allowed himself to die. Why? Because he knew that through suffering, that through the death, it brought victory over sin. It brought victory over death. It was... It was needed. It was necessary. And as much, as, as much pain as it brought to him, it was his purpose. Our suffering and death, it doesn't take away the sins of the world, but it does end our relationship with sin. As children of God, we are heirs to the kingdom of God. John 14 says that, we are going to, that where I'm going, Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if you look at the day that Jesus was on the cross, the, the two thieves that were beside him, what, one of them put his faith and trust in Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? On this day, you will be with me in paradise. Like, like through his death, this man, his relationship to sin ended in that moment. Gone, finished. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing to you? That, that, that your life, that free of sin, free of pain, free of struggle. I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I, I cannot stress just like how much I hate sin. I mean, I hate the struggle with it. I hate dealing with it. I, I just, I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day when sin is no more. And I recognize that the only way that's going to happen is for this life to end. That my life will have to cease. And on that day when it does come to an end, I know that it's going to bring about righteousness. That I will be an heir to the kingdom of God. That I will be like Christ in a way that I have never been. I look forward to that day. I imagine that none of us today, nor nobody at that time, was eager to suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. But for many of them, they were, they were going to face suffering. They were going to face execution because of their faith. 
there was going to be a time in their life when they were going to suffer, a time where they were going to be arrested, and before even the moment they were executed because of their faith, there would be a time when they were have the opportunity to deny their faith. Peter's encouragement for them was to be victorious in the face of suffering, to defeat sin, to defeat death. In order to live, verse 2, the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. Two things Peter says here in this verse. Rid yourself of sinful desires and live for the will of God. little review. Do you remember in, in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14, 15, 16, he says to the church here, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Doesn't that sound familiar to what he's saying today? Rid yourself of sinful desires and live for the will of God. Get rid of the sin. Peter's pleading with the church to stop falling back into the lifestyle that God had plucked them from and to live lives that are holy. Do you remember what the word holy means? It means to be set apart. It's not a calling to perfection, even though Jesus says in Matthew, be, for, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God does not expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be set apart. He expects you to be different. He expects you to be holy. Remember Noah? The story of Noah, Noah wasn't holy, he wasn't perfect, but he was what? Set apart. He was different. And God saw his character, saw his faithfulness, and said, this man is different. He's set apart. He was favored in the eyes of God. What about your life is set apart? Is it the way that you spend your time? Your money, the things that you serve, the way that you care about others, the way that you worship. What about your life is set apart? Peter wants the church to focus on being a church that is filled with holy men, holy women, not those who are doing what the world thinks is right. Verse 3, for those who have already been for there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Friends, what does the way of the world lead to? Brokenness. If, if it leads to brokenness, why keep going down that road? Or why return to it? I mean, if God has plucked you from that lifestyle once, why go back down it again? There's a saying, when in Rome, do as what? The Romans do. The Roman culture was known for their pagan lifestyle. They didn't have a problem carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. That was who they were. And when you were in Rome, that was the expectation, right? Everybody around you was doing it. So the expectation is for you to do the same thing. When in Rome, do what they do. Live in sin, careless behavior, unrestrained, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, lawless 
two and a half years ago, I moved to St. Joseph, Missouri. And everybody around me was a Chiefs fan. Everybody said, you need to be a Chiefs fan. And I'm just like, listen, away from me, you evildoers, okay? <laughs> like, lions don't mess around with sheep, friends, I'm going to tell you. So, in all seriousness, peer pressure is a real thing, is it not? I mean, even as, like we talk about as kids, but as adults, it's just as, just as real. I mean, it's just, we deal with it just as much as the kids do. And, and this time, friends, they, the church that Peter was writing to was feeling this pressure to do what the Romans were doing, to be like them. Even though Christ had plucked them from this lifestyle of sin, these there was still a resounding pressure as they lived in this world of sin to do as the Romans do. Peter's argument was, haven't you already spent enough time doing what the Romans do? Haven't you already spent enough time living a life that is broken? You followed their way long enough. Now it's time to follow Jesus. Sin leads to brokenness, and Jesus has saved you from brokenness. Why go back? I mean, if it, we know the destructiveness of sin. I mean, when we were, when we were there once before, it led us to a point of just brokenness. What's the temptation to go back? What's the reason? What's the rationale? And Peter's concern for them is if they continue down this path of righteousness, they will fall away from their faith. Just think about it this way, friends. If, if, you are, if you're heading down this direction, God's over here, and you're walking away from the Lord. You're walking this direction. Okay, if God calls you to say suffer, if God calls you to faithfulness and to obedience, and you're living this life of lawlessness, of sin, and you're following this direction, and you've got to stop and turn this way, repent of what you're doing, and follow him. Which is easier? If you're already going the way that God wants you to go, to continue to follow him? When God calls you to do something, is it easier to just to keep on going after God? Or is it easier for you to stop what you're doing, stop the wrong, stop the sin, and follow him? Now just add on another layer of this where, where you're doing, you're following the wrong way, you're going the wrong direction, and then there's suffering on top of this? Where there's suffering, and you're going to have to stop living a life of sinfulness to not only be obedient, but to follow God in a lifestyle that's going to require you to suffer, maybe even die. Peter's concern is genuine, it's real, and he's seeing people fall away from their faith in the midst of hardship in the midst of trial. He said, listen, it's, 
It's not rocket science, dear friends. God is calling you to be faithful. He's calling you to, to be set apart. He's calling you to be holy and righteous. Just as our Lord was holy and righteous. Don't make obedience harder than it needs to be. Verse 4. So they are surprised that you don't plunge in with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. Peter says, give the pagans a reason to question your motives. Let them be surprised by your action. Let them be surprised that you don't do as the Romans do. The word surprise can also be translated as a strange. Who do you know that's strange? Call me crazy, but I think that we should be. The church should be full of people that are set apart, strange, different. Our lifestyle should catch people off guard. I had a friend in college. He, uh, he, uh, I, I, I got to know him through a, a friend of mine, you know, and he introduced me to him, and he was looking for a place to live, and I had this house that I rented, and and it was all by myself, and I, he, he needed a place, and my, my buddy's like, hey, this guy needs a place to live, and I think you really need that you should, should let him live at your, at your house, and I'm like, I don't think I really want to do that, and I kind of like living by myself, and he's like, no, this guy, you really need to, you need to meet him, you know, and um, so we got to meet him, got to talk, and then Christian boy, and a nice kid, and, and so he ended up living in my basement of this house that I rented, and um, you know, kind of funny story I came home one day and he was playing his guitar and he was singing and I'm like wow man you that's you got talent you need to do something with that right I just I mean it just like kind of surprised you overwhelmed you with his ability and and when he would sing and play the guitar I mean it was like everybody stopped what they were doing and they would listen to this guy sing he just had this this all-American voice, you know, and uh, I, I, uh, I think some of us we we get set apart because we have talent, we have ability, and people see us like, whoa, that's that guy's different, right? That girl, she's got ability to do something that nobody else has the ability to do. And what Peter is saying here isn't like you need to be set apart because you're talented. Or you need to be set apart because, like, you have this skill that nobody else has. He says you need to be set apart. You need to be different. You need to be strange because of your character. Like, character is not something that, like, you're born with, friends. Like, it's, it's not like an innate ability. It's decisions that you make. It's the resolve that you have, the attitude that you have. And God will give you the character that you need to be, like he will lead you to righteousness. But you have to have the, the resolve, the attitude to say, you know what, I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want, I want to be different. I want to be set apart. I want to follow the Lord. And that takes resolve. It takes discipline. It takes obedience.
a willingness to obey. One of the commentators that I read this week said the idea that Peter is saying here is that not only are they going to find you strange, but they're going to hate you. They're going to slander you. And the word slander here, it means that they, not that they're going to blaspheme God or that they're, they're going to charge Christians with a crime, but that they're going to use language that's fitted to injure the feelings, the character, the reputation of those who no longer unite with them in the ways of vice and folly. So instead of like saying that you're guilty of some crime, they're going to look at you and they're going to attack your character. They're going to hurt your feelings. You ever seen somebody who lives a life of faithfulness, who's set apart, who's holy, who's, who's doing everything they're supposed to do, and because of that, people hate them. They, they say evil things about, they create rumors and lies. And I, I have a friend of mine, he's a, he, he does street evangelism, and he goes all over the world and he does this. He goes to sporting events. He was at the Super Bowl last year. He was national championship for basketball. And all he does is share the gospel. He doesn't spread hate. He doesn't preach hate. He preaches his gospel. He uses a, a, a big canvas and he paints pictures and he shares the gospel. I've, I've listened to him do it through video and things of that nature. And it's just, it's not hate. And, and yet when he, he does it in America, what he gets is hate. I mean, the people, like, like they throw bottles at him. They yell and cuss at him. And they just, they hate him for preaching the gospel. It's amazing. I mean, it's sad, honestly. For the last three months, he just got back from a trip to Ecuador. He was in Ecuador for three months doing the same exact thing. It's crazy. And Ecuador, friends, what's happening there is that he's doing the same exact thing he's doing in the United States. And there are crowds of people are coming and they're listening to him. Sitting down, their kids are sitting down, cross their legs, listening intently to what he has to say. <laughs> I mean, just, just think about that for a second. People in the United States, friends, like I, I've been to India and I would go into India and I would have a conversation at a, at a coffee shop with people about Jesus and it, it opened up the doors for conversation. Like they were willing and ready to have a spiritual conversation with you. Go to Starbucks, friends, and start talking about Jesus. What does it do? It ends the conversation immediately. It's not hard to be strange in America, friends. It's not hard to be different. It's not hard to be set apart. Like it takes some decisions on your part, and it takes an attitude saying, you know what, because of what I'm doing, people might hate me because of it. But being set apart is not that hard. Being different isn't that hard. Being righteous, following the word of God, that's hard. 
But culturally, we should be different. If you follow Jesus Christ, you follow his teachings, you follow his words, it's not all that hard to be strange, friends. Verse 5 and 6. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also, also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they may be judged by men in the fleshly realm, they might live by God in the spiritual realm. They will have to give an account for their actions, friends. Each one of us one day will go before God in judgment. The Bible is quite clear on this, that we will each face judgment. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are, our sins are washed, and, and we're, we're not judged based on our sins. We're based on our, our obedience to the Lord. But those who are, have yet to put their faith and who die as unbelievers, they are going to face judgment for their sins. And friends, I'm not sure about you, but when I die, I don't want judgment. I want mercy and grace. I don't want God's judgment. I want God's mercy and grace. Non-believers will be judged for their sins in the eyes of God. They will have to give an account, Peter says. They will have to answer for what they have done, for their slander, for their persecution, for their sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, we escape judgment not based off of something that I've done, not something that you've done, but rather we escape God's judgment based off of what Christ has done for you, for me. And it's offered to everybody. It's offered to you. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the grace of God is offered to you. God desires all people to be saved. Scripture teaches us this, that God wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to experience grace and forgiveness. He wants to see you live a life that's holy and set apart. He wants you to be faithful and true. God is faithful. God is holy, and he expects that. He wants that for you because it's the best thing for you. When I was in, living in Texas, uh, we, we studied uh, the story of, of Sam Houston. Y'all, many of you probably have never heard of Sam Houston. Some of you, if you're history buffs, have. Uh, Alice, you're here today. You probably know Sam Houston because you live in Houston. And Houston is the city, the largest city in Texas is called Houston. It's named after Sam Houston. And uh, Sam Houston led the revolt, okay, and uh, allowed for Texas to gain its independence. And he was a general in the army there. He was first president of Texas and served as a senator in the United States Senate. And uh, he was not a good person, though. Uh, when he hanged out with the Indians, he was known as the big drunk. He was a tall, loud, angry, drunken man. He had a short temper. He was very vicious in battle, not a good person at all. And uh, the uh, president of Baylor, Rufus Burleson, actually led him to the Lord and allowed him and, and baptized him. And I think it was at Stony Creek. And uh, he, when somebody found out that he was baptized, they said to him, hey, I, I, I hear that you had your sins washed away in that creek. He goes, man, if that's the case, I feel bad for the fish that are in that creek, you know. 
But, you know, he, he changed his life after that. It was genuine faith he had. And uh, his pastor actually told him one time, he said, listen, I, I know there's a problem between you and another member of the church. And before the next time we take the Lord's Supper, you need to go to him and reconcile this difference. And it, the pastor said that when that happened, Sam Houston's face just got bright red. Angry, you could see his grit in his teeth, and you could see this old sin coming out of him. And he goes, I was worried about what was going to happen. But he said, all of a sudden, you could just see all that go away. He said, you know what, you're right. I'm going to go and make this right. And he did. He, and friends, let me tell you something. Like, it's what God can do for you is he can take away your sin. He can wash it away. But you have a responsibility after that to be the person that God wants you to be, to live a life of obedience. And, and the Bible says that sin is, is creeping at your door. Remember the story? Sin is, is creeping at your door, Esau. It's creeping at your door. And you have to choose to live a life of obedience, of faithfulness. You have to be willing to be faithful, to be set apart, and to be different. Friends, we're, we live in a world that's full of sin. It's full of debauchery. It doesn't take much to be set apart. It doesn't take much to be different. But what it takes is a resolve, an attitude. You must be prepared for the battles that you're going to face. Set your mind on the things of God. Be prepared. Be ready. To be faithful and true. I pray that you will. I pray that as the Lord speaks to you today, that you respond with a spirit of faithfulness. You know, I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, friends. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you today, but I trust that he is. I trust that as God is an unseen guest here today, that he's speaking to you, that he's impressing upon your heart a matter in which you need to prepare yourself for. Maybe it's a decision that you need to make. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have. Maybe it's a, an aisle that you need to walk. But as the Lord speaks to you, I pray that you won't let this opportunity pass you by but rather that you'd be faithful and true to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to just invite you to do that today. I want to invite you to make a decision to follow him. Friends, this church will love you and support you in that decision. And I mean, it would just be a glorious day if that were to happen. If you're struggling or going through hardship, this is an opportunity for you to, to lay those at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I, I give up. I die to myself. It's not my will, but your will be done.
Don't allow for this opportunity to pass you by. I want to just invite you today. We're going to sing a song of invitation to stand and to sing and to respond as the Lord leads. Would you do that? Would you stand up and respond and sing? Let's stand and sing. Lord, we give you thanks for the day. We thank you so much for the opportunity that we have. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now and that we, we as your people, we respond in obedience. Allow us, Lord, the grace that we need this week to live a life that's holy and set apart. Lord Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your name. Amen.